Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Well, we have all come through the great holy days of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh and his circumcision and his baptism, the theophany, the visit from the Magi and so on. Great, great, illustrious, splendid feasts. And I'm sure we did feast splendidly as well through those days. I certainly did. (laughs) But now we're going to start to transition and look towards another great era and aspect of the liturgical calendar, and that would be Lent. It'll be here before we know it. And an interesting thing that's happening in the calendar is that as we transition, and very appropriately so, we come upon a week that is just filled with examples of monks, of monastics, and that's very appropriate because monasticism, of course, has a great deal of what we call asceticism to it, and that's something we're going to be involved in in a matter of a few weeks as we enter into Lent. So we'll move away from all the great celebrations of the past splendid holy days and go into a more monastic time in our life. And to help us understand that better, first I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read a little story of a monk that we celebrate today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and then we're going to visit with one of our good friends here at Light of the East. Well, so first of all, the story of Holy Father Theodosius the Great, and I'm reading this for a specific reason in regard to the guests we're going to have today in Light of the East. The first founder and organizer of Cenobitic monasticism, Now, that means monastics that are in community. He was born of devout parents in Cappadocia in the village of Mogoresis. As a young man, he visited Simeon Stylites, who blessed him and predicted for him great spiritual glory. Theodosia set out in search of a place in which to found a monastery. He took with him a censer containing cold charcoal and incense. At the place where the charcoal suddenly ignited of itself, he stopped, settled down, and began to lead a life of asceticism. There, very quickly, gathered around him many monks of different nationalities and with different languages. But on a day when they were to receive communion, all the brethren gathered in the great church where the service was conducted in Greek. 
The refectory was common to all. They held all possessions in common, labored in common, endured in common, and often hungered in common. Theodosius was a sublime example to all the monks, an example in work and prayer and fasting and vigils and in all the Christian virtues. And God endowed him with the gifts of wonder-working, to heal the sick, to be present and help from a distance, to tame wild beasts, to predict the future and to increase bread and wheat. Prayer was on his lips day and night. And he entered peacefully into the rest of the Lord in the year 529 at the age of 105. Okay, a little bit about St. Theodosius the Great, a great monk who we celebrate in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, January 11th. Another great monk, actually the founder of monasticism, St. Anthony. Now, he was a hermit, whereas Theodosius founded the Cenobitic life. But to actually give us some insight into all of this, we're going to bring into our program today our special guest and good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzias, Wisconsin. Welcome, Abbot Nicholas. Thank you, Father Tom. It's always a delight to be speaking to you. Abbot Nicholas, I read this, as I mentioned to the audience, I read this particular story on purpose because you and I have spoken a number of times about monasticism in the United States. In other words, in the, what we call the New World or North America sometimes called the diaspora, in other words, the country that is not of the origins of many monastic communities. So here we are in North America, in the Western world, and you are trying to establish and perpetuate and develop Eastern monasticism in a Western world. And one of the things that we talked about is some of the challenges and also some of the solutions as you see them from your experience of monasticism. And some of it is very similar to what I just read from the story of St. Theodosius. So maybe tell us a little bit about the particular challenges of monasticism in North America and what your solutions might be. Yes, Father Tom. First of all, I think it's uh, relevant that we we talk about this topic at this time, Uh, this time when, uh, first of all, we heard uh, a few months ago that the Holy See has finally lifted the ban on married Eastern Catholic priests in the U.S. and in the New World. Now, this, for close to 100 years, was a source of contention because Eastern Catholic clergy, like Eastern Orthodox clergy, the tradition is that they can be married or that they can be monks. There's two types of priests, there's two types of faithful, married and monastic. And although in the home countries they had uh, monks and nuns and married people and married priests, and also celibate priests, monastic priests. In the U.S., because uh, the Roman Catholic Church is by far the biggest Catholic Church here, there was a ban placed on having married Eastern Catholic priests in America. And, of course, this created enormous uh, heartache. Uh, We weren't able to follow our tradition. It was seen as a great injustice. And, And there were even schisms that occurred back into orthodoxy because of this lack of respect for the Eastern tradition. Finally, uh, Pope Francis uh, has lifted the ban, and so now in the U.S. and in the, pretty much in the New World, Eastern Catholic dioceses, Eastern Catholic eparchies, can ordain married men, they have to be married before they're ordained, to the diaconate and to the priesthood of the Eastern Catholic churches. And so this is going to uh, make us more faithful to our tradition, and I think it's going to provide a completely new uh, dynamic in Eastern Catholic life in America 
and uh, in the new world. Now, I do want to, while I say that, I do also want to, to say that I hope that at this time when this is done, the Holy See will also similarly take initiatives to undo another great injustice, and that is the lack of the presence of authentic, traditional Eastern Catholic monasticism in the New World, in America, Australia, Canada, and so forth. Because some of the challenges that traditional monastic life is facing in the New World are unique to the New World, just like the challenges that married clergy face in the New World is unique to the New World. So I'm hoping that the Holy See is going to address that because uh, the Christian faith, apostolic celibacy is absolutely an essential of the Holy Catholic Orthodox Apostolic Faith. We can't ignore that. Whether you have married priests or not married priests is another issue. But the place of apostolic celibacy is absolutely vital for the life of the Church. It began from the very beginnings, especially with martyrdom, red martyrdom. And then once red martyrdom ceased, then white martyrdom became much, much more important. And the bishops, after the possibility that they weren't going to be martyrs, then universally all the bishops were chosen from the ranks of the monks, the the white martyrs, you might call them. And so from the very beginning, this is an essential apostolic part of the Church that we can't lose. If we lose that, we cease to be part of the Church. And my concern is that now with the introduction, the allowing of married uh, Eastern Catholic clergy in the U.S., a more Eastern approach, uh, as we get away from the more celibate, more Latin Western approach to clergy, we should do this equally for monasticism. We need to get away from the more Western, Latinized forms of religious life to a more authentically Eastern form of religious life, which is, of course, monasticism. And St. Theodosius, who we read uh, about, who we heard about uh, today, is one of the great examples of traditional Eastern monasticism. Really need that the Holy See has to come from there because of uh, the problems of jurisdiction, which I will discuss in a moment. The the initiative has to come from the Holy See, and uh, only the Holy See can really make it happen. And just like they made it happen for married clergy in the U.S., it took a hundred years. I hope it's not going to take a hundred years that they will do the other half of the puzzle to make us authentically Eastern Christians, Eastern Catholics, to promote and uh, make uh, more uh, accessible the, the life of traditional Byzantine or traditional Eastern Christian monasticism in the Eastern Catholic churches. What you're touching on, Abbot Nicholas, is one of the things that I think is part of the genius, the gifts of the Eastern churches, which of course is what our program is about, presenting those gifts of the Eastern church. And that gift, that genius, is this understanding that monasticism and marriage are not diametrically opposed, but rather interdependent. One, in a sense, subsists in the other. 
they need each other. And the Eastern churches have known that. Even where they had a married clergy, I always say to people, ironically, the, the church that has a married clergy is also the church that gave the world celibacy, meaning monasticism. So there's a real interdependence there that we're going to talk about when we come back. Our special guest today is Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzias, Wisconsin. And I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to... Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wheelcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host during this week of monastics. And so we have a great monastic, a great friend of ours from monasticism on our program today, Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzias, Wisconsin. Abbot Nicholas, I'm just going to conclude our discussion in the first part of the program with something you wrote, which is not a published document, but you, you put to writing some words that you expressed early on. And I think they're so succinct and so accurate and clear that I'd like to just read a couple paragraphs from something you wrote recently. The promotion of monastic life in our churches will only become more crucial as North American Eastern Catholic jurisdictions move toward the normalization of a married priesthood. As proponents of the authentic Eastern ethos, we certainly favor the tradition of married parish clergy, but it would be a serious loss for our churches to give up the witness of apostolic celibacy by making this transition to married priests without a corresponding move to promote consecrated life. Moreover, there is the practical question of the episcopate. In a likely future where most Eastern Catholic parish clergy are married men, where 
will our prospective bishops come from, if not from the traditional Eastern source, our monasteries? And you also go on to make another caution that another possible negative fallout from this, Abba Nicholas, is that you also could encourage men to be uh, stay celibate for ambitious reasons to become bishops, which would not be good either, spiritually. So there's a number of things to look at in this whole idea of restoring, as Abba Nicholas is saying here, restoring the married clergy in the Eastern churches in North America, but also at the same time being mindful of the necessity to restore monasticism. And Evan Nicholas, you have some suggestions in that regard. Tell us about that. Uh, Yes, Father Tom. Basically, I think we have to, in our highly individualized cultures, it's very important for devout Christians, devout Catholics, fervent clergy and religious, to live in community. The prospect of a celibate clergy without supports in our church, in our tradition, is difficult. And so I think... uh, to have a better, a, a, a larger pool of candidates for the for the episcopate, and a more worthy, I would say, pool, I think it's better to choose from monks who live in community, who uh, are challenged by community ideals, uh, so that it doesn't become just careerism of you know celibate priests who work in a parish or a chancery, canon lawyers, for example. I think that's important. <laughs> yes. now, in the U.S., all the at least let's take the Byzantine Catholic jurisdictions because they are of the same right. There's four separate jurisdictions, the Ruthenian Greek Catholic, Ukrainian Greek Catholic, Romanian Greek Catholic, and Melkite Greek Catholic. There are ten dioceses of those four jurisdictions. They all follow the same Byzantine tradition almost identically. It's just that the languages from which those groups derived are different. They've come from different parts of the world. But just like we see in St. Theodosius's monastery, there is no reason why we can't have greater collaboration, greater assistance, greater mutual support. And I think given that all of our Eastern Catholic jurisdictions, all our Greek Catholic jurisdictions, are small, and especially the eparchies, it isn't really, I think, doable practically speaking, for each one to be separately expected to reinvent the wheel and start traditional Byzantine Catholic monasticism that hasn't existed for hundreds of years. We can get some assistance from the Orthodox. We can see Orthodox monasteries in in this country and use them as a model. But still, intellectually, financially, personal-wise, it would just be unrealistic to expect every small eparchy, sometimes as small as our Romanian eparchy for the whole U.S. and Canada of 5,000 souls, to establish a monastery. That's just not doable. And I think this is a unique situation in America that needs to be addressed by the Holy See. We can only, because the Holy See is the only uh, competent authority to uh, deal with inter- church, inter-church, inter-sui-juris jurisdiction matters. It's not possible for us to start each one their own monastery. It's just too ambitious. We need to work together to make that happen. Emma Nicholas, really need to. Why, why should there be Eastern monasticism in North America? Well, as I say, uh, the, the most important thing is, is that apostolic celibacy is an indispensable part of the apostolic faith, whether Catholic or Orthodox. 
And if we don't have monasticism, then we don't have uh, apostolic celibacy. It's as simple as that, except by accident, on an individual basis. Uh, some unmarried man that has become a priest and therefore might become a bishop. But that's very uh, loose and very informal, and, and it'll always be very minor. Uh, apostolic celibacy, together with married people, both married men that are uh, priests and not priests, uh, together will make up the authentic Church of Jesus Christ. If we give up apostolic celibacy, we give up being an apostolic church. It's as simple as that. Prepared to do that. Or are we prepared to uh, make an effort now that we've uh, allowed married clergy, which is equally part of our tradition, to do the other half of the puzzle of promoting authentic Eastern Catholic monasticism? Emma Nicholas, can you explain the difference between you're talking about apostolic celibacy and mandatory celibacy? Yes, I think mandatory celibacy is associated particularly with the Latin Church, where uh, to become a priest, you have to, uh, you have to normally be a, a man that is vowed to uh, being celibate, and then you're ordained to the priesthood. Now, in the Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, the tradition is really that you have two types of priests. You certainly have men who are married first, and then can be ordained once they're trained, of course, and competent and worthy, they are ordained uh, deacons and then priests, but they can't become bishops. And then you have other men who are uh, who have chosen a way of apostolic celibacy, no buts, and force them. They they can be men or women who want to live a life of prayer, a life of asceticism, a life of white martyrdom as opposed to red martyrdom. Some of them might want red martyrdom as well, but thankfully in America that's not an option that happens too much. Um, so they want to be faithful to the apostolic tradition of the Church by choosing freely the life of complete uh doing away with renunciation, complete uh, renouncing all the distractions so that we can have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself, a relationship by grace rather than a relationship by nature, an intimacy by grace rather than intimacy by nature. Now, we all need intimacy by nature. That's why we have friends. That's why people get married. But for us uh, Christians, through our baptism, we also receive grace. So we have to live not only the intimacy of nature, the natural intimacy, but we have to live an na- uh, intimacy of grace, which happens through prayer. And for monastics, it happens on a scale usually more than married people, because they have the time, the energy, the structure to live more completely this uh, desire to uh, to establish his intimacy of grace with, with Christ himself. And this points to that comment I made earlier, where, especially in the Eastern spirituality, monasticism subsists even in marriage. In other words, married people have to be, I believe St. John Chrysostom said it, good monks, like you're saying. They have to have, first and foremost, to be happily married in the natural way, they have to, at the same time, be developing that that grace, that as you mentioned. That, that intimacy of of grace, yes. A prayer, basically. Monasticism is about not being married or not being married. Monasticism is about prayer. And a married man that prays more than a monk in a monastery is more a monk than a <laughs> monk in a monastery, even if he's married. It's not 
whether you're married or not that makes you a monk. It's how deep and how uh, uh, extensive your prayer life is. That's what is the essence of monastic life. Boy, Abbot Nicholas, can you repeat that again? That's a great point for our listeners, that it's not a matter of whether you're married or not. That's not what makes you a monk. It's not about being married or not, but about this intimacy. Absolutely. To be a monk is uh, really to live a life of prayer, to cultivate this intimacy of grace with Jesus Christ. And hopefully you can renounce uh, some men or women can renounce marriage in order to live that intimacy more fervently. Yes. But every Christian is called on some level to live that intimacy of grace, not just the intimacy by nature, which we are called to as human creatures, and even non-Christians are called to live uh, intimacy of, of, of nature. I mean, that's this is natural to us, uh, but we need to go, for us Christians, we need to cultivate that, all people, to live more fully the uh, intimacy of grace that's given in Jesus Christ, and monks and nuns try to do that more rigorously. That's why they renounce marriage. It's not renouncing marriage that makes them a monastic. It's this desire and this commitment to this intimacy of grace. Well, Abbot Nicholas, we're almost out of time here, so where can people find out more about your monastery? Well, the best place, of course, is to go to our webpage, which is HRM, initials for Holy Resurrection Monastery, hrmonline.org, hrmonline.org, and there are emails addresses there and phone numbers and physical addresses and a, a wealth of information. It's a great place to go to find that intimacy with God as we're talking about here. In fact, we'll be visiting with our children as we do each year, Abbot Nicholas, pretty soon. We'll be seeing you up there at the monastery. We're looking forward to that. (laughs) And they do too. Imagine, children today look forward to visiting the monastery. A real tribute to what you're doing there, Abbot Nicholas. Thanks again for being on Light of the East with us. And I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Now, you can hear podcasts of Light of the East and never miss a program. Or hear one again and again and again. How is this possible, you may ask? Just visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And click on the Light of the East tab. There you'll find Light of the East programs for listening or download. And a link to a Light of the East iTunes subscription. Now, you can hear Light of the East for the first time all over again. Anytime you want. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.